Good afternoon, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, as well as St. Alicia's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Lots of stuff to get into in a world of baseball sports in Unified America. And most importantly, want to let you know, anything that's on your mind, please tell me. Either comment or the Facebook Live or Periscope feed, or you can give the show a call. The number is 732-364-3598, and we'll get you right up here. Good, good news, phone lines are working. We had a little bit of an issue with some of the, the uh, calls coming in last week, but, you know, you promise you, you call, we'll get you right through. Once again, 732-364-3598. And I was thinking about this the other day, and this is the one thing that kind of frustrates me. We kind of take our own opinions and we kind of hold them almost as gospel and we're not really open-minded enough to want to hear that maybe the fact that we are so strong-willed in what our opinions are they may not necessarily hold weight in other words there could be an adverse opinion that's the complete opposite and that point can make just as much sense as the point you're trying to make and what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about baseball and the minor league players with less than three years of minor league experience come up in spring training. They may have a big spring. I'm going to make a little comparison a little bit to Chris Bryant coming up in 2015. And I'm going to speak it as it applies to Pete Alonzo, first baseman for the New York Mets. Now the expectation is that this player can have a lot to do with the Mets succeeding in 2019, could provide a legitimate power bat that could help the team win a couple extra games. And in a National League East, that with Bryce Harper still unsigned at this very moment, still likely to go to the Phillies. And if it's a matter of the Philadelphia Phillies or the field, I'm still putting money on the Phillies at this point because they seem to be the team that is the most aggressive in their pursuit towards them. And it doesn't seem like anybody else has really come up to the table when it comes to 10 years and the 300 plus million that it's going to cost to get Bryce Harper. So Bryce Harper, when it comes down to it, is going to have to choose over whether or not he's willing to accept playing in the city of Philadelphia, accept playing for manager Gabe Kapler, who he may not be too enamored or in love with, and taking a deal that is going to be less than 10 years because right now nobody in a world of baseball outside the Phillies are willing to offer a contract that's 10 years or more. So, back to the point I'm making, Pete Alonzo. If he contributes well, has a big season for the Mets, the gap that's bridged, if there is a gap between the Mets and the Phillies and the Braves and the Washington Nationals, I think it makes it pretty close. <coughs> and I think the Mets could be favored at that point. Now, consensus is, and a lot of people come at me and they say, man, if a player doesn't have the three years of minor league experience, you have the opportunity to hold on to the player in the minor leagues for a couple weeks, and after that, you can bring them up to the major leagues. And with that, you get an extra year of team control. whoop de friggin do And I'm going to tell you a couple reasons why this is a much to do about nothing. Much to do about somebody and a group of people just wanting to hear their voice out there and try to talk about something that in their own mind thinks just that makes no sense for a team to do. Why, in God's name, would a team 
take a player with less than three years of minor league experience and put them on their opening day roster day number one with the risk that, God forbid, they lose that extra year of team control. Here's the first thing they can do. If the player is that good, you put them on your major league roster and you have five years instead of six. But within that five years, you have the opportunity to bring to get that player an extension to pay them through not just that sixth year, but additional years. That's a long time. So if that player becomes the player that you expect them to be, odds are you're going to be in good faith because you didn't try to rip the player off. You didn't look like a business executive just trying to hold one over on the player. Odds are relationships are going to be good between the player and the agent and the organization because you put that player on your opening day roster opening day because it was best for the team. So you got three, four, even five years to give that player a long-term extension if they turn out to be that type of player you expected them to be. And of course, if they don't, then who cares if you have them for five years or have them for six years? If the player isn't that good, if the player is marginal to a round replacement level and it isn't a regular on your team, then who cares how many years of experience you have? The other aspect of this that I want to bring up, and I think this is a very important point, you can say, hey, if you lose a game or two in a month of April, it could cost you in September. And looking at the National League East, the way it's configured, once again, Bryce Harper not signed with the Phillies yet. If he signs with the Phillies, I think that could put them in an advantageous position, especially if they're going to pursue, let's say, a Dallas Keuchel or a Craig Kimbrell in addition. They've had a very good offseason. But assuming the National League East comes down to just a game or two, and the Mets end up losing a game or two or three within the first couple weeks of the season without Pete Alonso and with a lesser caliber player playing first base. And if Pete Alonso could be the difference between a team winning a game and losing a game, then the Mets could end up missing the playoffs or could end up in a position that is less than what they're expected to do this season. My prime example will go back to Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant made his Major League debut in a the year of 2015 started April 17th. But if you go back to that season and you remember very vividly, he did nothing but beat the crap out of the ball in spring training. He had the most home runs out of anybody in spring training. I understand it's something that could be a little bit overrated, but when you're looking at it, this was one of the better young players in baseball. There were a lot of eyes on him, and he did nothing but perform in the month, in the uh in, in a month of March in spring training. The only reason that he was held off the Cubs major league roster was because the Cubs were looking to gain that extra year of team control. And if you look at a player that has performed at the level of Chris Bryant, winning a rookie of the year and an MVP, it would make a lot of sense for the Cubs to sign him to a long-term extension. So therefore, it really wouldn't matter if he had six years or five years of control. But the most important point that I want to get into, the Cubs... In the first eight games of the season, which they spent without Chris Bryant, sending him down to the minor leagues in Iowa, the Cubs went five and three. And during that stretch, when they won, they won five games and lost three games, they the games they lost, they scored zero, one, and three runs in. So it wasn't like they were in a position where a little more offense would not have helped them. And if they won one more game in 2015, 
Let's remember, National League Central, the way it works out. The Cubs make the wild card with 97 wins. The St. Louis Cardinals make the first wild card with 98 wins. And the St. I'm sorry, the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, I apologize. Pittsburgh Pirates make the first wild card with 98 wins. And the St. Louis Cardinals end up winning the division with 100 wins that season. So you're looking at a difference in the standings between the Cardinals, who won the division in 2015, and the Cubs, who got the second wild card and finished in third place in the division with 97 wins. There is a very good possibility that if Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day, the Cubs could have had a home field game against the Pittsburgh Pirates or could have very well won the National League Central. Now, the Cubs did what they needed to do. They, they took it the long way. They beat the Pirates in Pittsburgh thanks to Jake Arrieta, an outstanding performance in a wild card game. Beat the top-seeded St. Louis Cardinals in a best-of-five in a divisional series. And then, of course, they took on the New York Mets. May have had little or nothing left. The Mets ended up having home field advantage in that series. And who knows if the Cubs maybe had won that division and maybe had home field over the Mets, maybe that series ends up working out a little differently. And remember, the Cubs of 2015 are in a position where they're still on that drought, waiting until 1908 since the last time that they won a World Series championship. They won the next year, but what if that didn't happen? What if 2015 was their only opportunity to ha have a deep run in a postseason? It could have ended up costing them. And the Mets in this situation could have been in a very similar situation if they choose to not bring Peter Alonzo up, or I'm sorry, we'll call him Pete, for opening day. If he is one of the 25 best players on the roster, let alone one of the eight best position players that belongs and should be in the starting lineup, he should be on the roster and in the lineup opening day. Like I said, it could cost you a game or two, could be the difference between where you finish in the National League East. If you're looking at all the projections, whether it's Pocota or you know, any of the different sites that are putting you know, different type of win projections, when we're talking about over-unders with the teams in the National League East, all the teams are very close. They're all in the mid-80s, and there's a good chance that four teams could win 84, 85 games this year. So if you win one more game or two more games, it could be the difference between the Mets making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. And then the other aspect is that if you believe so much in a player, if you think a player is going to be a future of your franchise and you even want to give him a couple years to gain that type of experience and prove that he can perform at the highest level in regards to helping the team, then you could extend them. You could extend them past what that sixth year would be. You could extend them past even a couple of his free agent years. And that would be the best way to do it. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for your entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the past ball show, JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC, is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So... I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try to get through this as quick as I can. We got a phone call, so we're going to pull it right up here, and it is Willie calling from Tom's River, New Jersey. Willie, what's up? You're on a pass ball show. Hey, John. Just wanted to get your take on the Robert Kraft thing. 
Hey, thanks, Willie, for the call. Um, you know, obviously, there's there's things that happen over the course of sports, and they become very polarizing because this topic in particular has something to do with sports, and it also has something to do with the opposite of sports. So you're talking about anything with legal proceedings and charges, and you're also talking about an owner as opposed to the player. And I think the National Football League has done a better job in addressing personal conduct when it comes to players and obviously coaches. You know, Sean Payton was suspended for a season. You know, the sanctions against the New England Patriots in regards to some of the things that they were doing illegally. So I think football has done a better job to address these particular issues. Now, how do I expect this situation with Robert Kraft and the, and the prostitute and him being arrested for soliciting a prostitute to impact the Patriots going forward. Uh, obviously, we're going to assume that he's innocent until he's proven guilty, which is un uh, tough to do in a court of public opinion, right? Some charges get put out there, and you know, many people, when they look at it, it's alleged, but they take what they hear as 100% fact. So the issue that I would want to see is a, a, a separation between... Him going out to visit a prostitute, somebody that is getting paid and compensated and making a living off of performing sex acts and being involved in a potential human trafficking or sex trafficking ring, which I think would be a whole different story. Now, what his knowledge would be about this, I think, is something that should be spoken about and discussed and researched. So hopefully all the facts end up coming out and we can figure out exactly what type of situation this was, because if it is a human trafficking issue, and certainly if Mr. Kraft had knowledge of what was going on with this, you're talking about a whole different story. But if he is simply paying a woman for sexual acts, it's not moral. We get it. You know, it's something that, yeah, you can think it's disgusting. You can certainly have an opinion and think that it's a horrible thing for somebody to do. But I also think when it comes to the confines of breaking the law, it's not as serious as something that's involved, you know, such as human trafficking. But if it's proven that he did this, it's devious, it's against the law, and if he's found guilty, he should be suspended similarly or in accordance to what players and coaches are held to when it comes to personal conduct in the National Football League. And I think that's something that's very important to think about because you want to make sure that an owner, you know, is on the same level in regards to the standards that they're held to as the players are. Obviously, the situation with domestic violence, not just in football, but in sports, is something that we all, as people in the society, want to try to get away from. Not away from as much, but get through it and be able to keep stuff like this from happening and making sure that players, as well as executives and coaches and owners, Understand the severity of something like that. So when it comes to other things that are involved in personal conduct, such as soliciting a prostitute or maybe different things that are devious in the game, maybe uh, in relation to the game, then you, know, you want to make sure that owners are held to the same standards of, as players. If a player was mentioned in a, in a situation, it was a player you know, soliciting a prostitute, then you want that player to be held accountable for it. So the same should 
apply to the owner if he is found guilty of this, I would expect some sort of suspension. And it, with this suspension, would keep him or bar him for showing up at any games, which includes home games, whether it's a couple games or a half a season or a full season. But that's what I would end up expecting. So hopefully, Willie, I was able to answer your question. Moving on, um, we'll throw this one out there. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know no brand produced by any other brewer by that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive, our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and drinkability you will find in no beer at any cost. So you find out within the last week or so that manager of the San Francisco Giants, Bruce Bochy, announces that he is going to retire after the 2019 season. And it's it's a shame. This is a guy's managing in his 25th season. He's done it long enough. He's up in his 60s right now. Uh, you could make a, uh, I guess, a little bit of a judgment whether the Giants and their organization and, you know, their new leadership under Farhan Zaidi, J.P. Ricciardi is involved now, maybe. That could have had something to do with Bochy choosing to walk away. Um, maybe it was a decision that, you know, they were looking to hire their own manager. You never know. I mean, I think these are details that you may find out as the season comes to an end. But first things first, you wish Bruce Bochy the best of the rest of his life. You know, whether he wants to associate himself with the Giants or another Major League Baseball team, he's had a very good career as a manager. And the first thing you think about with Bruce Bochy is the fact that he led the San Francisco Giants to World Series championships in 2010, 2012, and 2014. So you're looking at a three-championship at a five-year stretch, which is something that you hadn't seen since the likes of the late 90s, early 2000 New York Yankees. And in fact, if you go back in history, you have the Oakland Athletics in the 1970s from 72 to 74. Prior to that, you had the Yankees in 1949 through 1953. Of course, you're talking about the Yankees of 1936 to 1939 and the Philadelphia Athletics from 1910 to 1913. And teams winning three World Series in a five-year stretch. So it's something that hadn't happened too often. So as far as one of the greatest accomplishments in the history of the Giants franchise dating back to the days of New York, certainly. And one of only two managers in the history of the Giants franchise going back to the days of New York to have won three World Series championships. The other is John McGraw. So two aspects I want to talk about here. One of them would say, based off the, the esteemed company that he is part of, means that he should be part of baseball's Hall of Fame. And there are ten managers, including Bochi, in the history of Major League Baseball that have won three or more World Series championships. Obviously, Joe McCarthy and Casey Stengel with seven apiece with the Yankees. Connie Mack and his five with the Philadelphia Athletics. Joe Torre, Walter Austin, John, and I'm sorry, Joe Torre and Walter Austin with four each. Torre with the Yankees and, of course, Austin with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Then John McGraw, Sparky Anderson, Tony La Russa, Miller Huggins, and Bruce Bochy. So if you want to use this as your factoid or your piece that you want to say, no other manager has won three or more World Series championships and is not in baseball's Hall of Fame, then I think you have a pretty good point. I want to talk about another stat that we could throw out there. In the history of Major League Baseball managers, 
there are only two managers that are in baseball's Hall of Fame that finished with a losing record. And one of them, of course, is Connie Mack. And Connie Mack ended up finishing 37-31 and 39-48 over the course of his 50 seasons as the manager of the Philadelphia Athletics from 1901 to 1950. And you could say the fact that he had a losing record as a manager may have had something to do with the fact that he managed a very long time, was also the owner of the franchise, so he had control over his own employment, probably stayed involved you know, in the day-to-day operations behind the bench a little bit too long. But you know he was a legendary manager. You know he was one of the fixtures of the American League. In fact, the Philadelphia Athletics going on that run that I mentioned earlier from 1910 to 1913, the three World Series championships in four years, was something that was, that kind of put the American League on the map. Kind of before the days of the Boston Red Sox, before the days of Babe Ruth and the New York Yankees, it was Connie Mack and those Philadelphia Athletic teams with that $100,000 infield that kind of put the American League on the map. So when it comes down to it, you want to talk about five World Series championships, 50 years as a manager, but also Connie Mack, the baseball pioneer, helping put an American League baseball on the map. There's no doubt that Connie Mack deserves to be in baseball's Hall of Fame. The other manager that had a losing record that is in baseball's Hall of Fame is Bucky Harris. And Bucky Harris had a long and esteemed managerial career for, I believe, five different franchises, three different stints with the Washington Senators, two different stints with the Detroit Tigers. So he was a guy that was always in demand, managed for the Red Sox, the Phillies, and the Yankees as well. So this was a a manager that had a lot of, you know, he, he was there for a long time. And even though some of his stints were not very long, he always was in demand enough to have a job in Major League Baseball as a manager. He also won two World Series championships with two different ball clubs, with the Washington Senators of 1924 and the New York Yankees of 1947. And obviously, the Washington Senators, one of the things that they were known for as being one of the more losing clubs in the American League. And unfortunately, in spite of having some very talented players, were a bottom or a second division club in the American League for many years. Many of those years, Bucky Harris was the manager there. He did have some success in certain spots, brought some prominence to the Washington Senators and their franchise, and obviously won a World Series championship in his first year as the manager of the New York Yankees in 1947. Finished his career at 21-57 and 22-18 for a 493 winning percentage. Now that winning percentage is a little bit better than Connie Mack's 486. The reason I bring this up is because Bruce Bochy, and he's got a chance this year. Maybe the Giants have a very good season. Maybe they surprise with some expectations, which... Yeah, I don't know. I look at the Giants, and I think they're going to be in a tough position in the National League West. The Padres with Machado and their farm system have gotten a little better. The Dodgers aren't going away. The Rockies, I think, should be the prohibitive favorite in that division. And you look at the Diamondbacks, who, yes, may have taken a step back by letting Patrick Corbin sign elsewhere and trading Paul Goldschmidt. But, yeah, it leaves the Giants in a spot where maybe they're not expected to win the National League West. Maybe if Madison Bumgarner pitches well and is healthy, Buster Posey is healthy and does the things that he's done over the course of the prominent part of his career, and some of the other players end up you know, backing up 
their back, the back of their baseball cars, maybe the Giants can surprise. And if they do, if they go out there and win 92, 94 games, which would be a surprise, certainly you'd win a lot of money if you bet on the Giants winning 94 or 95 games, then Bruce Bochy's record gets closer and closer to 500, and maybe he could finish his Major League Baseball career as a manager with an over 500 record. Well, where it sits right now, Bochy is 1926 and 1944, sitting there at a .498 winning percentage. So if the Giants are going to help Bochy finish his career with a 500 or more record, they have to be 18 games over 500 when the season ends. And that would be a record of 90 and 72, in case you're counting at home. So if they win 91 games and lose 71 and are 20 over 500, then Bochy will be over 500 as a major league manager. And if they finish at 90 and 72, they'll have an exact, he'll have an exact 500 record over the course of his career. And if you want to judge him on his track record, his body of work, managed some very successful seasons with the San Diego Padres, 96, winning the NL West, 98, getting to the World Series, was probably the best manager in the history or most successful manager in the history of the San Diego Padres. Most wins, most losses, most games managed. One of only two managers in the history of the San Diego Padres to get to a World Series. And obviously his time with the Giants outside of those five years. Now let's be honest, those five years were incredible. And if you're a San Francisco Giants fan, if you're from the Bay Area, it's probably one of the greatest moments of your life being a fan over that time. But the thing that stands out about those Giants teams is they were not necessarily a dynasty. They didn't run rough shop over the National League. And they weren't in a position where they were considered so much better than their opposition. Certainly when it came down to the World Series, in 2010 against the Rangers, 2012 against the Tigers, 2014 against the Royals. Remember, the Royals-Giants World Series in that seventh game could have gone either way. Great performance out of the bullpen by Madison Bumgarner. 2012, a big first game. Justin Verlander getting lift, lit up. Pablo Sandoval hitting those three home runs. That kind of turned that series. But coming in, you looked at the Tigers and thought maybe they were a better team. 2010, in all honesty, I looked back. I liked that Giants team. I thought they could have won the World Series against the Texas Rangers. But I thought it was kind of a toss-up. They were two very evenly matched teams. So I look back at the Giants over the course of even their best time under Bruce Bochy, winning those three World Series championships, which under no circumstances would any fan want to take that away. And we should appreciate exactly what it means to the sport of baseball. I talked about three World Series championships in five years or better. It had only happened a handful of times in Major League Baseball history. Going back to Connie Mack's team in 1910 to 1913, the Yankees of 36 to 39, the Yankees of 49 to 53, and the Oakland Athletics of... 1972 to 74, and of course the Yankees from 1996 to 2000. So you're talking about only a handful of times a team had won a World Series three times in five years. He obviously deserves credit in Giants lore, is probably and should probably have his number retired, and could go down as one of the best managers in Giants history, certainly based off the World Series championships. But the one thing you have to look at is this a surefire, no-doubt, Hall of Famer? 
and it depends on how you want to measure this. You can measure it based off of how many World Series championships Bruce Bochy won. And if that's the only thing that you want to look at, then I have no problem with you saying Bochy belongs in the Hall of Fame. And in about three or four years, when the Veterans Committee comes out there and Bochy's available, he'll probably get in. But if you want to look at the fact and the history of all the managers that have made it to baseball's Hall of Fame, only two of them have had losing records. And it's going to take a lot out of this Giants team, which I don't think is a 91 team, to keep Bruce Bochy from finishing his career as a major league manager with a losing record. And you look at this a series of managers that did a lot of good things that aren't in baseball's Hall of Fame, such as Billy Martin. And I'm not 100% sure, even though he won three World Series championships as a manager, I'm not sure he's more deserving than Billy Martin. Billy Martin got the most out of the teams that he managed. Success followed him wherever he went. In very few cases, he inherited a whole lot to work with. And he made those teams better. So I'm looking at baseball's Hall of Fame without a Billy Martin, and I have a problem with that. Now, does that sour me on Bruce Bochy? Listen, he won three World Series championships. So if that's the one thing that you want to go by, then I have no problem with you putting Bruce Bochy in the Hall of Fame. And I'm not going to be shocked if he ends up going in on the first ballot. But I'll tell you this, you do have to factor in the fact that he wasn't dominant in San Diego. He was successful there. And with the Giants, yes, out of those three World Series championships, outside of that, the team hasn't been very good. And when it comes down to it, for a guy who is managing right now in his 25th season in the major leagues, he's probably going to go down or finish his career with a losing record as a manager. Is that something you want in baseball's Hall of Fame? With all due respect to the three World Series championships. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. I do want to wish a very happy birthday to my father, John Anthony Pielli. Uh, he turned 63 today. Uh, hope he's listening. Wish him, uh, obviously, the best. and look forward to seeing you either today or sometime during the week. Um, and I, I've made this point before when it comes to my mother. My mother was born on October 4th, 1955. And what stands out about that day, that's when Johnny Padres of the Brooklyn Dodgers shut out the Yankees in Game 7 of the World Series. And, it, and what became the Brooklyn Dodgers' first and only World Series championship. Now, the only thing that I could say that happened on February 27th of 1956 was the Piedmont League, which was a minor league baseball league, of course, that existed for about 35 years, ended up disbanding. And a couple little tidbits on the Piedmont League. It was one of the only minor leagues that were in existence and continued to operate during World War II. And obviously, if you go from what happened on December 7th of 1941 until, you know, 19 whatever it was, 1945 on D-Day, there was a lot of changes that were going on in the world, let alone the baseball. Many of the players 
decided that they were going to say, hey, country first, forgot about what they were doing, obviously applied to a lot of different people that were doing different things. Whatever your profession was, you forgot about that, you enlisted, and you went to support your country. So because of that, there weren't as many baseball players, especially in that age group. We're talking about 18 to 25-year-olds. And that's probably about the average age of players that would be playing in the minor leagues. And because of that, a lot of minor leagues during that time ended up ceasing operations or temporarily suspending operations. Now, the Piedmont League was one of the few leagues that ended up continuing to play. They ended up having rosters, in some cases had to fix some things around, maybe shuffle a couple players in and out for certain teams, depending on what the roster construction were, and they ended up having a successful league over the course of World War II. The Piedmont League had teams in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, and briefly in Maryland, like I said, from 1920 to 1955. On this date in 1956, February the 27th, the Piedmont League disbanded. So happy birthday to my father who was born on that day in 1956. A little bit of a recap of the show today. I wanted to talk a little bit about players with less than three years of minor league service time and the obsession with holding players back from being on a major league roster opening day with the hopes that a team could get that extra year of player control. I understand it from a negotiating uh, tactic, from a control standpoint, from having the ability as a team to have that extra year of player control, but there's two things you have to factor. Number one, if you're in a close division where it may not be separated by more than a game or two, whether it's for first place, whether it's for a wild card spot, you may want to make sure that you put your best 25 players out there. And if you're the New York Mets, you should consider that when it comes to Pete Alonso. And if you end up losing a game or two, it could cost you a game or two in the standings. That could be the difference between you getting into playoffs and not getting into playoffs, or being the second wildcard team and a team that ends up winning the division. And the reason I mention that is because you look at what happened in 2015 with the Chicago Cubs. They waited until April 17th to bring Chris Bryant up, and Chris Bryant did nothing but hit home runs and dominate during spring training earning an everyday roster spot and a fixture and the place at third base for the Chicago Cubs that season. And the Cubs ended up holding him back. Well, the Cubs went 5-3 and three in the games without Chris Bryant before he was called up. In the three games they lost, they scored 0, 1, and 3 runs. If they had won one of those games, they would have tied with the Pittsburgh Pirates with 98 wins instead of 97 that they finished in a regular season. Had they won all three of those games, they would have tied for first place with the St. Louis Cardinals and had a chance to have home field advantage in the playoffs. Now, of course, we're talking about the Chicago Cubs. 2015, the curse isn't broken yet. They still haven't won a World Series since 1908. What if that became the only opportunity? As we hit the concluding point here of the past ball show, cuckoo clock, the whole thing. But what if that was the Cubs' only chance? And what if their loss to the New York Mets in the National League Championship Series that year was their only opportunity to get to the World Series, which, by the way, was something they had not done since 1945. It would seem a little bit foolish to hold Chris Bryant back for eight games 
that would cost you the opportunity to do that. And obviously the last point is teams, when you talk about team control, that means the teams have control over signing and retaining the players too. So you can talk about Pete Alonso coming up on opening day and having a great season with the New York Mets, maybe being a rookie of the year, maybe becoming a premium power bat in the middle of the New York Mets batting order, and the Mets could start right away on negotiating a contract that would keep him in New York past five years, past six years. That's something the teams have control over. So not just control through the arbitration process, but control in negotiating with the player. And because it is good vibes when you decide to bring the best team forward, obviously creates a good working environment for the player that is making the opening day roster between the player and the agent and the general manager and the owner of that franchise. So obviously there's going to be a dialogue open and you would figure that a player that's on the opening day roster losing what the team would look at as a sixth year of player control would be more inclined to want to sign an extension to go past that sixth year. We spoke a little bit about Robert Kraft, and I do thank Willie from Tom's River for calling the show today and talking about it. Like I said, personal conduct policy in the National Football League is a big deal. Owners should be held to the same standards as the players. So obviously this is alleged. Mr. Kraft is innocent until proven guilty for the exception of the court of public opinion. The last thing we spoke about today, Bruce Bochy, three World Series championships in five years as the manager of the San Francisco Giants. Seems like, on the surface, a no-doubt surefire Hall of Famer. We, of course, we're talking about Bochy because he announced that he's going to retire after the 2019 season as manager of the San Francisco Giants. Wish him the best, obviously. He may not be as much of a surefire Hall of Famer as you think. He, unless the Giants win 90 games this year, Bochy will finish his career with a losing record as a Major League manager. And in the history of Major League Baseball, there are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them, of course, is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer as he was a manager and Bucky Harris, who ended up winning two World Series championships, one in 1924 with the Washington Senators and the other one in 1947 with the New York Yankees. So if Bochy makes it and the Giants don't win 90 games this year, Bochy will be the third manager in baseball's Hall of Fame with a losing record. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in today. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPaley.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.